This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled Like a Warhol. Welcome back. I have been gone. I felt I fell off the wagon. I committed to you all. I committed and I fell off. I had committed to recording podcast episodes weekly in one sitting so that I could manage it time-wise with my kiddo. And then, like anything that you love, right? Sometimes you have this tendency to put the weight of the fucking universe on that thing. (laughs) It's the worst idea in any instance And in this instance, it was the podcast. I had an idea for a holiday episode and I, oh my gosh, I tried to force that thing and it just wouldn't go. And I, I, rather than post something that wasn't exactly what I wanted, I didn't post it at all. And it's been a minute. And I realized that that is, that is a commitment for the new year, that these podcast episodes will be recorded in one sitting every week to the best of my ability. And I'm going to include that in the intro in future episodes so that people know when they start listening. Um, yeah, I might get triggered in this episode because Borelli's not editing anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I might get bored in this episode. Yeah, I might not understand why she like loses her place and says, um, all the time. <laughs> that's that's where we're at that's where we're at I'm committing to once a week this year like a Warhol I had this idea yesterday and I immediately knew I was going to record about it and then almost immediately I (laughs) I had the thought why this is the second time um that a podcast episode came up connected to an artist the first one was like a Monet um back in 2022 and I I immediately had the thought why have both times been white middle-aged dudes like can't this be more diverse and I realized probably not because you know I was a grade school kiddo in the 80s high school 90s undergrad 2000s it wasn't until grad school in the 2010s that diversity and representation started to become more of a thing and I would argue not even really a thing until the last like four years five years so most of my art history education was white and male sorry so I realized I need to go out there I need to like expose myself to more contemporary works I need maybe I need to take a class I don't know I think Warhol is going to be the perfect artist to talk about this today though because I want to talk about going into the new year and I want to use him as a framework for doing it with grace and that might be interesting for any of you that know anything about Warhol like even just saying you know anything about giving ourselves grace in the same sentence as him feels bizarre you know because he was brilliant and way ahead of his time in fact I've heard a lot of art historians say that similar phrase about him, that he understood things about mass media specifically way ahead of its time. He was 
the one that famously coined the phrase, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes, right? Four decades before social media was even a thing. A full decade before computers were really a thing, like uh, at least personal computers. So he, he was brilliant and he was ahead of his time, but he was also kind of like morally, you know, (laughs) you know, he was not the greatest person all the time. He, um, he was exploitative of people that worked with him. He did lots of drugs. (laughs) Like he was just also, he, he arguably changed the artistic landscape, um, more than many artists in his time like he was profoundly influential and his ideas were very very influential as well and so I want to talk about them today it's weird to talk about them in tandem with grace but I think some of the ideas that he has are going to help us here specifically when it comes to making art and making life and y'all I use the phrase making art and making life interchangeably on this podcast all the time because to me they're almost the same if not totally the same we are here making a gigantic collective artwork together and that gigantic collective artwork is comprised of little mini artworks which is our lives right but if you zoom out far enough our life turns into perhaps just a tiny thread of a larger work with all of the people that have lived ever, right? And our little line of the art of the artwork is connected to other little lines that we might call our ancestors, right? Like we we are here absolutely making something artistic together. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the way that we make art is very similar to the way that we make life for good or for not good. <laughs> Um, and I want to explore that a little bit in regards to the new year. I've been thinking a lot about the new year and I had decided this year I wasn't going to do resolutions. I don't even like the word resolution. I, years ago I had heard, and maybe some of you have seen this getting tossed around online, but there's this sort of push to call them commitments or something a little bit less, um, rigid, than resolution. But I don't even know if I felt like doing that this year. And I was kind of chuckling to myself because I was thinking about my resolutions last year and I realized a few things about them. And I want to tell the story as potentially an inroad to like understanding your resolutions last year, this year, ever, ever, if you don't have resolutions. So this is, what, <laughs> this is what happened. So last year, I was, what, four months postpartum. And I, I realize now that most people, not all people, but most people are afraid a lot of the time. And their days of fear are interjected with moments of not fear, you know? And we've all kind of gotten used to that. Like some people are probably like, no, no, I'm not afraid all the time. And I, I'm really like very much glad to hear that if that's you. Um, I also wonder though, if some of us have gotten used to feeling like low key nervous and anxious about our lives all the time so that we just like don't even notice it anymore. 
right? In the same way that you really can't see a gray dot on a gray canvas. Like they're just, it's like been around for so long. It's like the shades are all the same. It just, it disappears. It, it ceases to like look like anything. And so I do think that a lot of people sit down and they're really like excited to make resolutions. I was, I was very excited. I was like starting off on a new adventure. I was four months into motherhood and I had a lot of hopes, but I was also really scared and I wasn't owning up to how scared I was because I thought if I just act really brave, this is going to work out. This motherhood thing is going to work out if I just fake it till I make it. (laughs) Is anyone here... Can anyone here relate to that even if they're not a parent? Like 100% this is applicable to doing anything that requires any type of gumption, courage, bravery, stamina for the long run, you know? And so the thing that I really wasn't acknowledging was that there were some pretty substantial fears that I had around becoming a way that was out of alignment, for myself. Because when I was younger, I lived huge chunks of my young life completely out of alignment with what I really wanted. And when I finally figured out how to line up myself with, you know, my life and and start actualizing things that really mattered to me, that was when I decided I wasn't going to have kids. (laughs) Because I thought there's no way I can bring a human in to the world And then I'll let go of everything I care about and then I'll resent the kid. And, you know, I just didn't want that for myself and I didn't want that for a kid. So, so then of course, imagine how surprised I was when I turned 40 and, you know, it's the middle of a pandemic and Jason and I are like, maybe kids, why not? And we, and it was not a why not conversation. Y'all, we talked about it pretty seriously. We, obviously like had really candid conversations about both of our concerns like this is what we're gonna do if you fall off this is what we're gonna do Borelli if you fall off the wagon and start giving up all your dreams for your kid you know and I felt pretty good about our decision to have a kid I felt like we really went into it with our eyes open and I had it was so easy you know I was not expecting it to be easy to get pregnant at 40 and then you know, the pregnancy was really easy. Everything was easy. And so I thought, cool, you know, motherhood's going to be easy too. (laughs) So four months postpartum, I'm making resolutions and I'm thinking, I don't want to give up on my dreams. And I, I had this sort of like association from when I was younger with like, a certain type of person that doesn't follow their dreams looking a certain way, right? So, like, that that person to me was, like, a mother who, you know, watched TV all day in her bathrobe, doesn't shower, doesn't work out, doesn't have a social life, just, like, is always, you know, like, shuffling their kids from thing to thing, and, right? Like, the way that I'm speaking about this makes it sound so awful, and if I'm describing someone's life and they're like, hey, I like my life, yeah, it's actually an awesome life if you've chosen it, right? Like there's people who like, I don't know, like I'm just making this sort of up as I go, but there's people that have had terribly tumultuous childhoods 
who would like only dream of having this like very low-key you know tv every day with my kids at home in a bathrobe without showering like that's luxury yeah frick yeah if that's if that's in alignment for you oh my gosh yeah this is not a slam on anyone's life choices um it is however out of alignment for me and i <laughs> so i was like afraid like what if what if I'm not strong enough to keep making art with a child? What if I'm not strong enough to keep working out and exercising with a child to the extent that I was before? What if all my health problems come back and I'm not able to keep myself healthy? Like I had a lot of fears. And so all of my resolutions were an extension of those fears. And I think a lot of us do this without realizing it. What my biggest resolution was, I'm gonna start lifting weights. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal, at all right like that sounds like a very accessible resolution for the new year it was the only one I made and it was ridiculously unreasonable for me it was completely rooted in fear I thought okay I'm already spinning indoor cycling twice a week I'm already doing yoga to stretch twice a week I'll add two days of weightlifting on top of that and then I'll be like super strong and an awesome, like capable mother, like I had all these like visions of how I was going to be after a year of weightlifting. (laughs) And then, and then of course I was trying to, it was like sitting down to a lump of clay and then picking up a paintbrush, right? And like wondering why I couldn't create with the paintbrush, right? First of all, I was four months postpartum. I still wasn't sleeping through the night. I was having health problems um, postpartum as well. Um, I, aside from just navigating all of the changes, I was exhausted all the time. And what in the world made me think that I could, you know, add two days of weightlifting for a whopping six days of working out, like I'm pretty in shape and I only work out four days a week maximum, usually three. What is it about our fear that makes us so irrational when we're setting our goals? What is it about our fear that makes our desires to be better like so gigantic what is it about our fear that says when we step up to bat that we should hit a home run the first time (laughs) you know right like because there's like 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 I mentioned a minute ago I'm pretty in shape I work out three sometimes four days a week pretty religiously and I'm, you know, I'm in good shape, right? But there's people out there that haven't worked out in decades who are like resolving to work out seven days a week right now, right? Like that's what I'm talking about. It's this tendency that all of us have to pick up a paintbrush when we're sitting in front of clay, <laughs> you know? And so of course, you know, I start lifting weights on top of spinning and yoga, thankfully. And, and then I throw my back out in January. 
you're right. Cause on top of that, I'm also trying to work again and watch Brayden. And then I throw my back out again. And then I throw my back out again. I threw my back out eight times last year. Eventually by April, I gave up on weights. I just, my resolution was dead. I was like, well, this isn't going to happen. Right. Because I, I picked up a paintbrush and there was clay on the table. <laughs> what does this have to do with Warhol? I want to talk about Warhol specifically as a printmaker. Those of you who um, are unfamiliar with him, I'm certain have at least seen his most famous works. And if you haven't seen them in passing, you can easily Google them right now. Um, but Warhol was known for his most known for his series of silkscreen prints of celebrities and pop culture objects. Um, Campbell's soup cans, Marilyn Monroe's face. Those are two of like the big ones, right? And the thing that is so interesting about his print process was that, you know, he would use glue as like a masking fluid on the silk. So, you know, he would create these prints of Marilyn's face using a photograph of her and he would use the glue. He would like paint the glue you know, where certain shadows of her face were or where certain highlights of her face were. I'm sorry, he would he would paint where the highlights were, right? Because then when he would roll the ink onto the silk, the ink would not pass through the areas that were meant to be highlights, you know? And then after he would print her face like a bunch of times then he would add paint to it and that's why you have seen all these Marilyn heads next to each other and the print is seemingly identical but the colors are all different right but the thing that's really interesting that Warhol talked about is that he was fascinated with the way that even though he you know created this singular screen and presumably it was going to print over and over again an identical image. He said, life's not like that. Like a computer is like that, right? Like you can program a computer to make something identical over and over again. But, you know, in, when you're using like hard materials like silk and glue and, and the human arm as a press over time there's going to be changes and you can see it if you ever look at the Maryland series you can see it online but you can see it even better in real life like the first print and the second print look almost totally the same but if you compare the first to the 30th you can see noticeable differences if you're looking for them from far away they all kind of look the same um and and Warhol said you know kind of famously he said isn't that what life is like right? It's a series of repeating images over and over again that change very subtly. And I would say, yeah, your year is a series of prints, right? Today, I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Tomorrow is Thursday. My physical appearance tomorrow is going to look almost totally identical to today. It's going to, my life circumstances are going to be almost totally identical to today, right? But if you take a snapshot of Wednesday next January, totally different 
maybe, and, and totally different is actually probably too extreme, you know, just nominally different, but noticeably different, right? I love this idea that change isn't swinging for the fences. Change is small, little tiny smudges over time. And when you open yourself up to that, it can be this really reassuring idea or really freaking infuriating, right? And I think it's infuriating to our fear, right? When we sit down to make our resolutions, our soul loves the idea of small change. And I want to talk about that in a minute. And I want to talk about why, but I really think our fear hates small change. Our fear is like, oh my God, you don't have a year to have abs. Like you want to look great now. (laughs) So why don't you just swing for the fences and see if you can get yourself into the physical shape you want as fast as possible. Because the thought of having to spend five years slowly getting to your goal, your fear hates that. That's so scary to your fear, (laughs) you know? But I want to talk about why it's not scary to your soul and why your soul loves it and why your little artist inside of you loves it. It's because it takes all of the pressure off of the making. And and it means that you don't have to make things better in your life. I'm going to repeat that because it's worth repeating. Change isn't by making things better in your life. Doesn't that sound like a load of BS? (laughs) On its face, I'm sure a lot of people are like, that doesn't make any sense. I want to make a case for it. Bear with me. I'm not sure if everyone's going to be on board at the end of this episode, but I think it's worth talking about because I think that we generally have the impression that focusing on the work, focusing on our life is the way that we make things better, right? I'm going to go and eat keto for this year, right? And the that's what's going to make my like body slimmer, my energy better, my health better, right? Whatever. It's what's going to make my life better. The artwork is my life. Yeah. Keto. Cool. Right? It would be like Andy Warhol sitting down with his silk screen of Marilyn's face and then trying to like hand draw it with a pencil instead what's the point of having the screen if you're just going to struggle with a pencil and then get frustrated when it doesn't work right what do I mean by this what I mean is you ma'am who is listening to this you sir who is listening to this are the screen you're the thing that you alter. You're the thing that you work with. Your life is just the surface. 
But if you want to change what happens on the surface of the artwork, if you want to change what happens in your life, you don't change the life. You change you yourself, you yourself. Or in Andy Warhol's case, you use the screen. And here's the really liberating part. You don't even really change the screen. You don't even really have to change yourself because that just happens naturally on its own. And I think that was one of the things that Warhol was fascinated by. He's like, I'm printing this thing over and over and it's just changing on its own. How interesting is that? I suspect some people are like, calling my bluff here as they should and saying, Hey, look like cool, but how do we know if the changes are going to be for the better? (laughs) And I agree with you. That's like a really good question. (laughs) And the way that I personally believe that you'll know that they'll be for the better is by enjoying them and the way that you enjoy them is by living in the moment. And one of the really great ways that a lot of us listening to this podcast have learned to live in the moment is by making art. But there's so many other ways. There's people that work out. There's people that meditate. There's people that sing. There's people that write. There's people that mow the lawn. There's people that hike in nature, right? The ways that you bring yourself into the moment and enjoy that moment are the ways I believe that you can shape your prints to slowly change in the direction that you want over time without a whole lot of effort. I think the thing about Warhol's work that I'm interested in talking about today is that he was insinuating that these changes were pretty effortless. I just printed her over and over and, and, and the prints distort themselves. They become a different version of the original. How are your prints going to shift? How are they going to distort? Is it scary to think about letting go of that control? Like, are people listening to this right now going, oh my God, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just going to like stop making resolutions. I'm going to stop like doing positive things in my life. Like, what do you mean the life isn't the point? Like, what do you mean I'm the point? Yeah, I know. I'm still grappling with this. I'm, I'm still grappling with this. But let's consider it, right? Wow. Dang, the world has been teaching us that the work is where we should focus our energy, right? So we like jump into a freaking workout regimen and a keto diet, right? (laughs) And it's like taking a paintbrush to a ball of clay, right? What if we just sit down and we put our fingers in the clay and work with what we have. What if 
you wake up tomorrow and you're like, you know what? Mm, Usually I have a cookie every day. I'm not going to have that cookie tomorrow. Right? I think a lot of people that make New Year's resolutions like wince at that. They're like, that's like not enough. (laughs) It's too easy the next morning to wake up and go, I can have a cookie today. (laughs) My goal was only January 1st. It's January 2nd. I can have a cookie today, today, right? I think that's our fear talking. That's our fear talking. Our soul is just interested in one day at a time. Did you successfully skip the cookie and wake up feeling a little bit less slogged with sugar on January 2nd? You created a beautiful work on January 1st that you wanted to. And now you're ready to create your work on January 2nd. What's that going to look like? Is it going to include a cookie? But maybe not some processed crap with food dyes that <laughs> make you you know, sneeze or whatever. I'm just speaking from my own experience. I can't eat food dyes without getting crazy allergies, right? And then you wake up on January 3rd and you're like, cool, what's this, what's this day going to look like? And slowly, just like the Marilyn's, just like the Campbell soup cans, just like the Andy Warhol print series in general, these little mini works that are seemingly the same are slowly changing. And the thing that's really, really beautiful about changing in this way is that one day we just wake up and we're like, whoa, how did I get here? This is cool. <laughs> I, I had a student years ago in one of my beginning drawing classes and I don't love teaching grids anymore, but when I first started teaching drawing, I stubbornly taught grids and I, I feel like a lot of drawing teachers kind of are against using grids and probably for good reason. But I always loved doing it with beginner students because I felt like it gave people confidence that they could draw realistically when you removed the paralysis of the whole image, right? The the paralysis of a whole year immediately sets us up to fail, right? And so we would, you know, take these photographs and the students would like grid them. Um, And the more complicated or stressed out the photo made them, the smaller the grid squares would be. And then they would create an identical grid on a white piece of paper. And then they would reproduce the photograph using graphite pencil square by square. And each of the grid lines would create a reference point to take away some of their fear, right? It's not my job right now to draw the face of my wife, which was a student in my class, right? He brought in the face of his wife. She was beautiful. He was so excited to draw her. I was like, oh no. In my head, I'm thinking this guy, he's going to be paralyzed within a second, right? Because he loves her. He wants her to look perfect. He's going to get so, so hung up on drawing this thing. I was certain of it. But he came in with the attitude of the grid and the grid really helped him. He wasn't drawing an entire face of his wife. He was drawing the diagonal line 
of one centimeter of her hair (laughs) at a time, right? Like the grid allowed him to measure and objectively look without fear. Can we approach a year that way? Can you think of each day like each square of a grid? Can you think of each day like each print of an Andy Warhol series, right? Where the goal isn't the large work. The goal is this little tiny square. And each square is going to compound on itself. And you can trust that it's going to get you where you want to go. Probably even better than where you want to go. Trust is is the hard one. Trust is the hard one. Because when Warhol was printing, you know, the Maryland's over and over again, he couldn't predict how those prints were going to change. It was completely up to something else. And that's scary, right? It's scary to let so much control go of the things that we're making, especially when it's our art that we care about or our lives that we care about. So this guy, he's drawing this face of his wife and he does all of the like quote unquote easy stuff first, like all of her hair, right? Then he moves to like the shape of her face. He gets to her chin, her neck. He starts in on the nose. I'm sorry, the eyes and the mouth. He, he does the nose last, right? And he's done a pretty dang good job, y'all. It was like, it was like really close. And it was driving him crazy. He was like, and he had been so patient as he had been working on this drawing. But as he's getting down to the wire, he's working on the last part. And he's like, it's like almost her. He's like, I just, he's like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's driving me crazy. And I, I took a step back and and this was, you know, probably good intuition on my part I'm not terribly sure what caused me to say this but I said you know I said I feel like it's probably going to be something really small and see if you can hone in on the part of her that doesn't fit and then see if you can tweak it and it turned out that it wasn't her nose after all it was her eye one of her eyes and so he starts messing around And all of a sudden, like five minutes later, I hear, oh my God, like he yells, he yells out loud. Everyone hears him. Oh my God. He's like, it's her. And he holds it up and it was her. And, and yes, it had been just this one little tiny line that he changed and immediately her face fell into place and it was her. Is it possible that we could trust our creative process enough in our lives that our lives would also play out this way. I had this experience yesterday, which was the inspiration for this podcast episode. I, in October, started grappling with tremendous, oh, like gnarly hormone stuff. Like I, um, you know, everyone talks about postpartum hormone stuff when you're a woman. I didn't really have any postpartum hormone stuff. Um, but when I started weaning Brayden at 15 months, my hormones went 
wild and I I knew what was happening I knew what to do about it and and it still kicked up a ton of fear a ton of fear <laughs> and so for the last like two and a half, two months or so I've been like trying to get out of that place right I've been like throwing everything I've learned in my life at this situation, trying to get out of that place, trying to get back into a place where day to day I feel, you know, excited and happy and like normal. And, and instead just like every day was just like full of dread, you know, and stress. And, and then of course it was just like spiraling in on itself and like the stress was creating more stress and my inability to change it was also creating more stress and I guess the reason I tell you this story is because I think a lot of people can relate to being in that situation whether it's with a child or not but what I didn't realize (laughs) is like is that those little things were actually doing something I, I was venting to my friend on the phone and I was like, gosh, girl, I'm like working out. I'm like taking supplements. I'm like trying to sleep. I'm me- trying to meditate. I'm, you know, like asking for help as much as I can. Like I'm throwing everything I can at this situation so that I start to feel better and I'm not feeling better. <laughs> and she goes, oh, yeah, oh, yes, you are. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, stop doing those things and then see how you feel. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was kind of infuriated by that. I was like, well, that's not what I mean. What I mean is I'd like to get back to how I was feeling before, you know? And so I just kept trudging forward. And honestly, I kind of felt like I wasn't making any progress and that I might just be stuck in that feeling forever. Can anyone relate to that? Not just in their life, but in their artwork too, right? Like you're like, stuck you're stuck in this spot and you're trying all these different things and nothing's working and eventually you start to feel like well maybe this is just where I'm at (laughs) you know and then all of a sudden yesterday I woke up and I realized I wasn't there anymore it was almost like I had been like walking through a canvas of like a dark sludgy gray (laughs) and over the last two months I had slowly been adding like very little tiny bits of lavender (laughs) to the gray (laughs) and all of a sudden and, and like it was so small that you could barely like notice the difference and so I kind of just was feeling like hopeless and then all of a sudden I woke up a couple days ago and I was like, whoa, my background is fucking purple. This is great. How did I get here? How did I get here? Right? And it made me realize that I was, I was changing for the better. It just wasn't in the ways that I thought. It made me realize that we're all changing for the better when we stick to it and we stay in the moment and we try to enjoy the process to the extent that we're able because 
the screen, right? The silk screen alters the image without any effort on the artist's part. Your life is going to change without any effort on your part. You don't have to muscle your way onto the canvas of your life to make changes. You just have to, and I, I like already, like I already want to backtrack and, and like call myself out for saying the word just, because just implies that it's easy and it's not easy. Just also implies that it's simple. And I wouldn't even say it's simple. I would say it's tremendously difficult. And also like a muscle gets much easier over time of use. And that is focusing on yourself. That's where the artistry lies. As you tweak yourself, as you stay in the moment, who you are changes to become more of the screen that you want to be printing onto your life, right? Like imagine that Marilyn was alive in that screen. And as she slowly focused her energy <laughs> on that love of being in a silk piece. <laughs> Imagine how that love might have altered the way that her face printed. I mean, is that is that hippie? Yeah. Yeah, that's hippie. Is it a great freaking metaphor? Yeah, it's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor. It's a great metaphor. I'm going to say that like multiple times because we are the print. We are the printer. We are not the surface that we're printing on. And so often we focus on the surface that we're printing on and we pick up the wrong tools, right? Because we're, we're projecting our, our fear. Like, yeah, yeah. That is what I've been thinking about with Warhol right now. It was probably as much of a cluster as anything I've ever said. <laughs> I realized as I was recording this, like as I was like talking, I was having a simultaneous thread in my head of like, oh, this is changing the way that I speak to you guys because it's very vulnerable, like trying to weave an idea on the spot, knowing that you're going to hear it exactly as I'm recording it, which makes me so much more self-deprecating and silly, perhaps, than I used to be. But uh, that is what it is, too. <laughs> I don't totally know if the Warhol metaphor is exactly correct, but I will tell you what I do know from the last two months of my life and what I really believe going into a, a, new, a new year is that I have watched my life grow and grow in a way that really was meaningful to me without setting New Year's resolutions. Last year was the first year I ever tried to do that. I think I've always kind of intuitively known that resolutions wouldn't work for me. I think they work for a lot of people. But if they don't work for you, I want to I want to posit some other idea, right? Like does being better 
require being projecting our ideas of better through a lens of fear and then picking up the wrong tools right like like if we're if we're scared how how helpful are our resolutions going to be right can we just relax into the fact that we're not the artwork we're the artists and if you want to change the artwork which is your life you don't change the work you change yourself yeah yeah there's probably so much more to say about that but i'm gonna stop here I love y'all and I am going to do, gosh, I mean, I'm going to like post this right now because if I don't, it will not go up. I appreciate the messages. If you ever feel inclined to leave a review, leave me a message, please consider doing so because, oh, yeah, it really helps. <laughs> I hope you all have an amazing, amazing start to your new year. And I hope that it's a little bit like a Warhol. Maybe just a little bit. Until next time. Until next week. Peace.